Hey, y'all. Welcome to the White Coat, White Collar Podcast, where we help current and aspiring STEM and healthcare professionals demystify the career landscape. I'm your resident host and corporate scientist, Dr. Aurelia Whitmore. Each and every episode, I'm bringing you along as I talk shop with active professionals. We're discussing career journeys from white coat to white collar and everywhere in between. So turn the volume up and let's get this interview started. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to have Evelyn here with us today. Hi, Evelyn. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course, of course. So Evelyn has a very unique career. She started off her career in the Atlantic, Atlantic, Atlanta public school system. Spent some time internationally in Haiti also teaching, and now she serves for the Boston Public School System as a science instructional coach. So a totally different shift from teacher to, you know, now being a coach and having different roles in the school system as a teacher, but still ultimately contributing and giving back to young minds. So, so excited to have you here today. I normally like to start our episodes off with an icebreaker. So the most common icebreaker most of the guests choose is what is your first, very first job before stepping foot into a college campus, which we'll, we'll get to that. But Evelyn had two options for icebreakers, so we're going to go into that. So Evelyn, if your office was burning down, what is the first item that you would grab? Yeah, I would grab this figurine that says my name. I know that sounds a little narcissistic, but... <laughs> <laughs> actually had I actually had a student create this really large like art piece and they did their project for me because I was just their mentor and it's yes. super important to me. I keep it in every room, every office space that I'm in, just as a yes. reminder of the work that I do and why I do it. So I would grab that first. I would look really awkward because it's really big. It's made out of like oh, cardboard so it could catch on fire. Goodness. But I would grab that first. That is so awesome. Is it nearby? Could we see it? No, it's actually in my actual office at work, so it's oh, not at okay. with me. Yes, oh, but I you will have send you a photo. Send so me a picture so I can, <laughs> yes, I'll yeah. add it to the to your notes and your, when we publicize your episode. So awesome. Awesome. So why don't you tell us what was your very first job before ever stepping foot onto a college campus? Yeah, so retail, like what young person doesn't work like some sort of retail job? But so, I worked for City Trends specifically. And if okay. anybody knows City Treads, it's it's really ratchet is the only word that I can <laughs> I can think of. But yeah, minimum wage, part-time minimum wage working mm-hmm. at a retail store. That was my first job um before yeah. stepping put on a college campus. Wow. How long did you do that? How many years or months? Yeah, I did that until my sophomore year of undergrad. So from my junior year of high school through. So about almost four years, yeah. Oh, wow. That's what's up. Okay. Yes. Every time I see a city trans or a rainbow or, you know, <laughs> like they're all in that same genre of clothing. Yeah. I used to shop at Rainbow. Yeah. I, you know what? Sometimes I may go in and get a little t-shirt or something quick, something. especially if I'm going to like tie-dye it or if I'm in my creative street. But no, that's what's up. And yeah, a lot of young people do start off in retail. I used to work at Nine West. That was like one of my first jobs too. Ooh. And a beauty store. 
I used to work in a hair store. So yeah, that's definitely true. So Evelyn, you received your bachelor's degree in biology. So Mm -hmm. you didn't take the ed route, started off in biology, and then you went on to get your master's of education in curriculum and instruction, correct? Yes. Yes. So why don't you tell us why'd you major in biology? Yeah, I would say to start, I was actually a nursing major <laughs> at uh, first. And okay. I think that's just cultural yeah. influence. I'm Haitian, first generation Haitian, and pretty much it's pretty popular in Haitian culture. You're supposed to be a nurse, a doctor, or a lawyer. So I've started yes. undergrad as a nursing major. And I was like, I don't want to be a nurse. Like, I knew I loved science. I knew I wanted science to be a way that I gave back to my community. I just knew that I didn't like the personal hand-to-hand part of, like, the, you know, medical world. So I thought that I wanted to go into clinical research. So I chose biology as the route that I wanted to do that. So I got my BS in bio from SUNY Empire, so in upstate New York. And then after I graduated, I did some fellowships in the clinical lab and decided that I wanted to give back to my community through teaching while I figured out the clinical part. Ended up falling in love with teaching and Mm -hmm. ended up figuring out that research wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It was a little more monotonous, a little more boring, wasn't as exciting as I thought. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know pipette some things, put it in the machine, wait several hours. You know, it wasn't just this, you know, fast paced, exciting thing. It's doing the same thing a hundred thousand times waiting for it to work. So yeah, it was through doing some fellowships in a lab. I realized that I actually (laughs) didn't want to get into clinical research and stay there. And so that's how I started my journey as an educator. Okay. And so in undergrad is when you realized that research wasn't for you. So when you finished undergrad, what were your next steps? Yeah, I figured out it wasn't research post-undergrad. So like mm-hmm. in undergrad, I still wanted to do research. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like that awkward feeling that I think a lot of undergraduates go through where it's like needing experience in the field, but a lot of, you know, positions you're looking at requiring experience. So I was in this awkward phase of like, oh, I want to do research. I don't have any experience in research. How do I get mm-hmm. this? What can Mm -hmm. I do in the meantime? So I started teaching while doing fellowships in different clinical labs, trying to, you know, get my foot in the door. And it was through those experiences. I was like, oh, this is, you know, cool, but this isn't Mm -hmm. exactly what I wanted to do. So I would say maybe a year or two post undergrad, I was like, wait, I I actually don't want to do this. This is actually really repetitive and it wasn't as cutting edge, you know, and as exciting Mm -hmm. as I thought it would be. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so eventually you went on to get your master's. Was that, what was that time frame between graduating from undergrad and then going into your master's? Yeah, so I had a two-year gap between undergrad and grad school. In between that time, I was actually doing, because like you mentioned before, my undergrad degree isn't in education. So in order to teach, I had to do an alternative certification route. In the route that I chose, I decided to be a TFA core member. And if you don't know what TFA means, it stands for Teach for America. So it's a pretty nationally known, very rigorous like application process to be a core member. So I decided to be a core member and to serve in Atlanta. So during my core time, you do all of the coursework and take all the exams that you need to be a certified educator. So I couldn't you commit to a school for two years. So I committed to a school in Atlanta for two years. I decided to stay at that school an additional year after I'd completed my program just because of the work that I was doing there at the time. 
And that was the first time I was really introduced to instructional coaching. I had the opportunity to be a resident advisor for this program called Relay. So this Relay program essentially pays for master's in education for their residents and place them with a teacher to support them and coach them um, so that their first year in the classroom, they're not just thrown in there. So that was my right. first exposure to coaching. Mm-hmm. And I really found out that that's where I wanted to go next with education and study it for grad school and decided to, you know, pursue that. That's awesome. So how did you hear about the Teach for America program? Like, did you decide, OK, I'm ready to teach and you went to Google? Like, what did that search look like for you and how did you stumble across that and why did you choose that program? Yeah, so I actually, at the time, I was working as a leasing agent, so in property management, so random, like doing property management. And one of the summers, I had a large influx of teachers who were looking for housing, and there were all transients. And I asked them, like, okay, all of you guys are moving from different states, but you all are coming to Atlanta looking for housing in Atlanta. Like, what do you do? And that's when they told me, like, they were all in the same cohort of TFA members that year and that, you know, they all relocated to fulfill this fellowship and to do this program. And they told me a little bit more about it. Um, And I checked out their website and a lot of their core values were aligned with me, like believing that, you know, believing in equity and believing that children and specifically children of color deserve access to quality education. And their mission kind of spoke to me and my core as a person, some things I believed in how I wanted to give back as well. So I decided to like, okay, I'm just going to follow up with this and follow through That's awesome. And it, it's funny how life works, how you're on your own path and, you know, people and experiences and opportunities come to you that can just totally change the trajectory of, of where you thought you were going, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Perfect yeah. divine timing. Right, for sure. And so after that programming, you finished that And then you went on to pursue your master's. So why did you Mm -hmm. want the additional? You already had the certification. You already went through the rigorous program. Why go a step further? I knew that I wanted to step out of the classroom eventually. And then I wanted my space and education to feel sustainable to me. If you ask any educator out there, very much so overworked and underpaid. And I was in a space where I have such passion for this field, but I wanted to feel whole and sustain and be able to continue to have the fuel to do this work. So for me, I I identified that I needed to have a role in education in this fight for equity, but I needed to be out of the classroom and how can I achieve this? And so I had that experience with being a resident advisor. It kind of introduced me to instructional coaching and I had an interest in like revamping curriculum to make it better, to make it more accessible. Mm -hmm. And I was just researching like what would enhance my skills in this area And Mm -hmm. so curriculum instruction was the space and getting a master's education was the space. And a lot of instructional coaching and higher academic roles require like having a master's. So I was like, okay, so this will be the best next step for me. And as a teacher, how are you introduced to being a resident advisor? Let's just say there's, you know, there are teachers listening to this episode and they know that maybe being in a classroom isn't the end all be all. How do you get selected as a teacher at a school of, let's just say, 90 teachers or 50 teachers or however? Like, how do you get chosen? What do you have to do to be a resident advisor? I would say first part is whether or not your school is actually a host site or a participant for these type of things. So I was um, fortunate enough to be at a school that was a host site for TFA. They were a host site for Relay. So your school has to opt into participating in 
having residents and extra bodies in their building. If your school isn't currently a school that's a participant, this is something you can advocate to your school leader about. Why? Because your school will have an extra body in the building that doesn't necessarily come out of the school budget. So you will have additional support without it being an expense to the school and you get to cultivate the next group of educators that will be in the field. So if your school isn't currently a host site, that'd be a reason why you should advocate it to your school leader. But if your school is already one, then it's usually through recommendation, application and a recommendation. So for me, I was actually recommended by my school principal and my department chair for this position. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even something that I initially sought out. I just had really good data with my kids with moving their learning forward. And they saw that and was like, hey, we think you would be a really great fit for this. You did some work over the summer supporting TFA. So I supported some new cohorts of people joining just because Mm -hmm. I knew what my experience was joining and I wanted Mm -hmm. to support them in that way. So yeah, I was actually recommended. So even if you weren't recommended, you can still apply directly and or advocate for your school leader to be a host site for one of those type of opportunities. That's awesome. That's awesome. We definitely have to do another episode or Q&A where you can like just drop some tips and knowledge for teachers to just, you know, advance themselves for Mm -hmm. potential opportunities, even in the educational system or outside. Because I'm sure there are many other programs besides being a resident advisor and just sharing the information that, that you may know that some of these schools may not even know about. So some of the yeah. teachers can bring back to their institutions to bring notoriety to the school. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Awesome. And so after receiving your master's, you spent some time in Haiti. I do. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I felt like I just needed some change. I, you know, I've lived in Georgia half my life and I worked there, taught there. And I just wanted to expand the school I was teaching at. We actually had instructional coaches at my school and they dissolved that role. And that was something I was looking forward to doing and moving into in my career. I did a lot of research in Atlanta, in the South, and there isn't a lot of heavy investment in instructional coaches, academic. They go by many titles like academic deans and things of that nature. In the South, it's more popular in the Northeast, abroad in Texas and in California. So Mm -hmm. I just decided that like, okay, I wanted to expand what I can do. Let me take my talents overseas. And I picked Haiti because again, I'm first generation Haitian. And I thought at least if I'm going to go out the country, I should go somewhere where I at least speak the language. Their language is my native tongue too, you know, just for like safety reasons. So when I went there, I accepted a dual position. So, So half of my role was teaching middle school science. And then the second half of my role was being a science instructional coach for the elementary school and supporting them there. Did a lot of professional development for that school, did a lot of support with the curriculum task force there for science specifically. That's when I really just got my hand into like doing curriculum work, doing unit level work and found Mm -hmm. out that I really enjoyed doing that work and supporting teachers in that Mm -hmm. way. Part of what makes teaching hard sometimes is teachers are expected to be teachers and curriculum writers simultaneously. That's Mm. not something they have the capacity to do. So I enjoyed Mm. being in a role where I could create things that allow teachers to do their role more successfully and the impact that had on students. So, yeah, I had an amazing time overseas. It was definitely a growing and trying learning experience all bundled into one. 
And yeah, yeah, it was that experience that let me know, like, no, I'm ready to be an instructional coach full time. I'm ready to make that vertical shift out of the classroom and to continue doing that work. Wow. So if you could like create a list of the main similarities and differences between a teacher and a curriculum coach, how would you distinguish the two? Yeah, I would say that Teachers, students face more than instructional coaches do. So teachers work with students every single day, the majority of the day, minus their like lunch and maybe not even their lunch, but minus their lunch and planning period. And their day looks consistent. So day after day, they teach for these periods, have this consistent lunchtime and so on, very regiment schedule. Mm -hmm. Whereas an instructional coach's schedule is very flexible. So I might have Mm -hmm. a meeting with the principal and other school leaders and admin one day. I might be doing some work somewhere else in the district the next day. I might be Mm -hmm. in a teacher's classroom because they wanted me to watch a lesson for them. Or I might co-teach with a teacher to model some new curriculum. So I do like that there's flexibility in what my day looks like. Every Mm -hmm. single day doesn't look the same. I'm not in charge of my own class. So a teacher has their own class of students that they're responsible for managing their grades and parent communication and so on. So I don't have my own class of students. So I don't have that. So all of my interactions with students, I would say, are more positive than negative. I'm not giving them bad grades. <laughs> like all of our all of our interaction is positive. Like, okay, right. the science lady, you know, is here today or gets to pop in. So right. I also That's appreciate awesome. those. Yeah. And let's talk about your role. So when you were in Haiti, you had a joint title. You were teaching Mm -hmm. and you were a curriculum coach. Now you are a full-time curriculum coach. So Mm -hmm. why don't you tell us how you were able to transition into doing this full-time? As I mentioned earlier, you work for Boston Public Schools. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you visit different schools. Like, tell us how you got into the full-time role and what does your day look like? in that role. Yeah. So when I was in the dual role, like I was sharing like half my day, I taught. So I lived half of my life or half my role like I normally would as a teacher. And then the second half of the role, I spent time that school ran PLC. So PLC stands for Professional Learning Community. So I was the PLC leader at that school. So that looked like a lot of planning, professional development, putting research together, creating like data cycles. So looking at student work, figuring out how we can improve instruction for them. And that just really gave me like, and before I ended my school year there, I made the decision that I would only apply to instructional coaching positions. I would not apply to a single teaching role. And that was really hard for me to stick to because I applied to a lot of positions. And as I was doing research, like I shared a little bit earlier, most of those positions were in the Northeast. Texas, California. There really wasn't much of that in Georgia, Florida, like in New Orleans. The offerings weren't that much or the way the school systems were structured, they didn't make a lot of room for. um, I would say an instructional coach is like if an admin and a teacher had a love child. I'm in this Mm -hmm. very unique in-between space where I'm not a school administrator. I'm not a principal, assistant principal, an admin. I'm not a classroom teacher. I'm this very warm blend in between being both. And I really enjoy that blend. So I get to be an advocate liaison for teachers. I don't have to deal with managerial things like people calling out. Like, you know, I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. in a very happy space of doing the things that I enjoy to do like 90% of my work day. So yeah, I only applied to instructional coaching positions and I gave myself a deadline like, okay, so if by this X amount of time, if I can't secure a coaching position, then I will apply to a teaching role. 
So mm-hmm. it was really hard for me not to break on that. I did a bunch of interviews and a lot of yeah. people were like, you're amazing. Come on board. But could you just teach for me for it? Like science teachers are, you mm-hmm. know, hard to find. So a lot of people were like, okay, yeah, this is great. I know this is what you applied for, but could you just teach for me for a year or two? Mm-hmm. Then we can. And I was like, I turned down a lot of positions because yeah. I was determined to do what I knew that I needed to do. So right. finally, awesome. really, really one of the um, that's, hardest That's challenging. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that's really, really challenging. And you're like telling, you're, you're branding yourself and interviewing for a role and people are constantly seeing the aspects of your background that you don't mm-hmm. want to continue you want to you yeah. want to pursue the other aspect and they're like god can you can you like no. can you just can you just do this it's like, nope. no sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so what what did that time frame look like so how long were you without a job I wasn't without a job. Like I transitioned. Yeah. So I was looking for the next position. I would say I will add a couple things. I would say I was looking for this current role during COVID season. So this is also job job hunting is already like a stressful thing. And I was job hunting during like the pandemic. And I was like, I'm not going to just accept anything that isn't what I want. So that was just challenging. So I had started you know, most educators run on a, like an academic school calendar. So I started looking around December 2019 mm. and started like, you know, applying yeah. and scoping, re- like yeah. researching school districts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. doing all of that. And so mm-hmm. I would say I've started interviewing in like February, like February, March is like peak hiring season okay. for, for education. Yes. So I did a whole lot of interviews. And again, like I was saying, it was a lot of offering me teaching, offering things I was not going to accept. So I said a lot right. of no's. Yes. So I didn't accept this position until June. So I literally June went from December of 2020. Oh, 2020. Of 2020. Okay. okay. So I went wow. from December 19 to June mm-hmm. 2020 wow. of saying no. <laughs> saying no a lot. So with Boston Public Schools, did they ask? Were they asking you to teach or they were totally on board with you coming on as an instructional coach? instructional coach. Yeah. Oh, no, they didn't ask me to teach. I, again, just amazing opportunity. So I'm part of this Bees Initiative for the district. So I'm part of the founding coaches for a science initiative that they started. Stands for Building Excellent Educators in Science. So they... GE. So I don't know if you're familiar with like GE, like gen- is it? I don't even remember what GE stands for, but the electric, electric tech, yeah, General yep. Electric. So yeah, yeah they I actually. So. I think. Please don't quote me, but GE. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but GE kind of wanted some hands in education and supporting education, so they actually provided Boston Public Schools with a grant. I don't even know mm-hmm. how much money this grant is, but it's a large grant, a grant yes. to support science education and technology and STEM in the district. Awesome. So this grant allowed the district to create a team of science coaches. So I'm one of several science instructional coaches that they built this team and we're all at different schools and we spend two years at every school and then we move to another school in the district. to nice. support. So, yeah, it's really And cool. that's an addition to the instructional coach. Yeah, so this is the instructional coach role. Yeah. That's the role. So every two years, Mm -hmm. you're switching schools. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, it's almost like you have a two-year contract with the school and you have certain goals or metrics. Do you create those goals or metrics for the school, whether it be testing, scores, or 
student involvement? Like how do you set yeah. the metrics and then you go in and implement or you work with a board? Like give us a little more detail about yeah. how that works. Yeah, that's an amazing question. So it's a multi-layers into what goes into like what my presence looks like in a school. So there's the district focus. So the actual mm-hmm. district has a goal for the entire district. So currently Boston Public Schools District is about equitable literacy. So that's their goal. Then each individual school has their own instructional goal and focus. And then each science coach has, like us as a team, we have a mission and vision for what we're here to do. And then as an individual, I also have personal professional goals. So there's like a four tiered layers to how we create goals based on meeting the needs from top down. The district needs, school needs. My team, what we decide is something Mm -hmm. that we should be doing as well as my own personal goals. So, yeah, it's a lot of different layers that go into it. In terms of um, metrics, I personally don't think standardized testing is the be all end all, Mm -hmm. you know, for gauging how well students are doing. But, you know, that is something because we're a public school institution. Standardized testing is due to some, you know, former ed policy is important to funding for the school, important to all of these things. So. That I do believe in a mixed methods of having a qualitative and quantitative measure. So a mm-hmm. quantitative measure would be standardized test scores, but a qualitative measure would be more like student experience, teacher experience, yes. things that you actually have to see live to understand what the impact is. Right. That's awesome. And in addition to being a science instructional coach, you also have your own consulting business. So yes. tell us about that. Yeah. So I also have my own personal business called Access Ed Consulting. And pretty much my goal for that is to make high quality science instruction accessible to all learners. That's kind of what my mission and vision is. So in that role, I'm the, you know, one woman team, but in that role, (laughs) I support schools with First, I do a needs assessment, so figuring out where schools currently are with their science instruction and figuring out what their gaps are. So Are they starting at ground zero? Like they don't even know a curriculum to look at. They don't know Mm -hmm. what's high quality science instruction. They don't even know like, you know, where to start. And that's where Mm -hmm. I would start with them. Some schools are like, no, we have curriculum. We need support implementing that curriculum. So my support with each school depends on their needs. Mm -hmm. But the entire mission is to make sure that you know, science education has evolved over the years. I don't know what if you remember what your science experience was like when you were in school. It was a lot of textbooky yes. stuff. Yes. A lot of mm-hmm. memorize, read this chapter, answer the questions at the end. Yeah. Maybe you do this one hands-on experience, maybe. And it was just, yeah. t- it turns a lot of students off to the discipline. It, you know, their passion for it fades off, you know, from yes. elementary school. So yeah, my goal is to make sure, especially students of color, feel like this is something that they can do and that right. building their self-efficacy in the discipline and making sure that STEM is an option for them. Just right. looking at statistics, STEM occupies most of the high-paying workforce and only like mm-hmm. 11% of STEM jobs are held by people of color in the United States. So I feel like education is one of the avenues that I could shift those numbers. That is amazing. And thank you for throwing those stats out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's important. And Evelyn, so how do you balance It seems like you're in a role with Boston Public Schools where, like you mentioned, 90% of what you do, you love. 
It's like you're a love child of an administrator and a teacher, like you mentioned. And I know like just for me personally, like when I'm doing something I really, really love, like my creative juices are flowing. And also with your access ed consulting business, that's also a very creative role, too. So how do you balance like your day to day job also being Mm -hmm. very similar to your side business? Yeah, I would say one of the things that I think educators don't hear enough is take your time off outside of our allotted time. Like, take your time. Like, it's okay to take a mental health day. You don't have to have a mental breakdown to take that mental health day. So I'm very mindful about, like, if I am ever in a space where I do feel overwhelmed, that I don't feel guilty about taking time off if I need it. So the other thing I do is, like, I lean on the strength and supports of the members of my team. So like I shared before, I'm on a team of several instructional coaches. And so... I don't expect myself to be the expert on all things. So I definitely like to tap into the strengths of the different people that I have access to, to make sure that I can continue to do this work with fidelity. I also just try to make sure I name, like, how would this look for this work to be sustainable to me? And what things Mm -hmm. do I need to put in place to make it sustainable? So one of the things that I put in place is I have a cutoff time. So once it hits a certain time in the evening, Whatever doesn't happen, the world is not going to be on fire. It'll be there (laughs) when I, you know, when I get to it the next day. So, you know, just working on, um, you know, losing the culture of burnout. A lot of times educators have this real burnout culture. So kind of walking away from that culture. And then with the access ed business. So I kind of schedule my work for that just at my leisure. I don't put too much pressure. Like I have to have a million Mm. schools and a million clients at a time. It's something that I enjoy to do. I don't have right. to do all of the things at once. So right, right. I kind of take that a little bit at a time. And yeah, it's been going good. Summer, I was summering all summer. So yes. yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I know we've all had like bad bosses and just been in like toxic work environments. And mm-hmm. you mentioned like the world isn't going to burn down. You'll take care of it the next day. Like, have you been in a situation where you maybe felt like that and your supervisor didn't or team members didn't? Like, how would you maneuver that? Yeah, I would say that I still prioritize. Like, I make mm-hmm. sure I handle what has to be handled. And right. for me, like, I care about if anyone is depending on me. So for me, mm-hmm. my priority is students and teachers. So if a mm-hmm. teacher needs something from me the next day or students, you know, as a result right. of that, students, I tend to that first. Everything else is okay. And for the most part, you know, in my role, I have a little more flexibility over my time and a little more flexibility over my schedule. So I tend to priorities first and then whatever else has to happen, it can happen when it happened. I would say, yeah, I've definitely had some leadership that was challenging in the past. And I would say it takes a lot of courage to just like advocate about making sure you're not doing things outside of your role making Mm -hmm. sure you're not extending yourself and working a million hours outside of your work day, making so it's just about like setting and enforcing those boundaries and Mm -hmm. and remaining steadfast on that. That's awesome. If there was anything else you would want to give for our listeners today, the teachers that are out there that are maybe wanting to make a transition and start something new, like what would be a piece of advice you would give them? Like what's kept you on your journey and on your path that's just really getting started? Yeah, I would say be open to opportunities, even if Mm -hmm. it's small. Like there's opportunities to be teacher leaders before you step 
100% into a whole new role. You can be a department chair. Sometimes you can run professional development at your school. So there's these little opportunities to show initiative and build up a presence for your school leader or just build up the practice for yourself and build your capacity before making that shift. I would say whenever they're ready and they make that decision, don't fold on it. So once you're like, okay, I've been teaching this many years, I've done the education piece, I've tried my hand at leadership in these different ways, I'm only going to pursue this. And anything that doesn't meet that bar is a no for me. And just sticking mm-hmm. to it. And I know there's times where you're going to feel like you want to waver and you're not yes. sure, but just really just believing in yourself and believing in that this is where you want to go, that you can actually succeed at pursuing it. That's awesome. Thank you, Evelyn. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your story and just giving hope and advice to other teachers, whether it's STEM or even just anyone in the educational space that is seeking a transition. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That concludes today's episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. If you like these discussions and want to continue hearing more, please subscribe and leave a comment on the platform that you've tuned into today. For more resources on unique career options for STEM and healthcare professionals, please follow White Coat, White Collar on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you love what I'm doing and would like to be a sponsor to help me continue demystifying the career landscape, please visit whitecoatwhitecollar.com forward slash sponsor. Thank you for tuning in and all the best on your career journey. Remember, take the journey one step at a time and don't be too hard on yourself. You got this. Until next time.